Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Since the Great Depression, Congress has passed a farm bill every five years to fund projects from agricultural research to nutrition programs to rural development and more. This year, the bill poses a significant task to a divided government. In our conversation today, we'll cover what we have seen in the past farm bills, areas of possible bipartisan agreement, where roadblocks to the bill lie, and how the negotiation and passage of the legislation might play out. Hello and welcome to another Brownstein podcast. The subject of today's podcast, the 2023 Farm Bill. I'm Drew Littman and I'm joined by my colleagues Mark Pryor, the former two-term Democratic U.S. Senator from Arkansas and former Arkansas Attorney General, Brian Wild, former Republican House and Senate staffer and aide to Vice President Dick Cheney, and Lakeitha Anderson, who has deep Democratic and tri-caucus relationships. The critique of Congress that we hear every day is that Democrats and Republicans can't work together and nothing can get done. In this Brownstein podcast, as we talk about the 2023 Farm Bill, we're going to see if that bill would serve as a rebuke to the conventional wisdom. Senator Pryor, I'm going to turn to you for Farm Bill 101. Why is the Farm Bill important? Well, it's important for many, many different reasons, Drew. I mean, first is obviously our food uh, and and our clothing and so many other things that we use every single day have their roots in the Farm Bill, Uh, just like, you know, there's a lot of environmental policy there, a lot of energy policy there. Even if you like to hunt and fish, there's a lot of, you know, wildlife and habitat policy there. There's, you know, trade and, and really it's, it maybe should be called more the Rural America Bill because there's so much money there for rural infrastructure, whether it be broadband, electricity, water, healthcare, you name it. Plus, you get you throw in things like funding for the land grant universities and the HCBU. So it really is a is a very large and comprehensive bill. Thanks, Senator. So so Farm Bill is something of a of a misnomer because this bill covers so many different topics. How much approximately does the Farm Bill cost? Well, it really depends on how you look at it. The the 2018 Farm Bill uh, was about four hundred and twenty eight billion dollars over a five-year period. So there's a lot of money in this legislation. And we can expect that the 2023 Farm Bill, of course, will be more expensive than the 2018 Farm Bill, also a five-year bill. What's driving cost increases? Can you cite a couple of things? Well, I think that, um, you know, for example, in here is the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which a lot of people think of as food stamps. The the fact that there's been a lot of inflation when it comes to food, that's going to drive the cost up. And um, I think that is the single largest item in the whole farm bill. Again, people think of farming, but it is so much more. It has these big nutrition programs in there. So I think it's going to be a big price tag once again. Are SNAP costs going up because the Farm Bill has a counter-cyclical element? SNAP is an entitlement. The more people need it, the more we provide. So in times of increased hardship, the bill becomes more expensive. Is that generally accurate? That is generally accurate. So in, in, in the good times, our spending on SNAP goes down. 
and the hard times of spending on SNAP goes up. It is a safety net program used by millions and millions of Americans, by the way. And um, it's something, actually, interestingly enough, uh, that and the school lunch program both have their, their origins in World War II because there was a lot of scrawny GIs showing up uh, at the recruiting stations. And it wasn't long before the president and the Congress said, you know what, we need better nutrition in this country if we're going to be fighting in these wars and winning. So there, there's a lot in here, but yes, you're exactly right. Thank you, Senator. Brian, before we get into policy issues, let's take a look at the new lineups. How have the 2022 elections changed the House Agriculture Committee leadership? And who's running the show in the Senate? Well, I mean, the, the biggest change for for the Farm Bill and for everything is, is you know, the House uh, flipped from Democratic control to Republican control. So, you know, we are in a situation where you have a, a Democratic president and administration, uh, Democrat-controlled Senate, and, and, a, and a Republican-controlled House. That, that really will change the debate. It complicates things. Um, you know, it means that, that if we're going to make law, uh, this has to be a bipartisan process and a bicameral process going forward. In addition, there was a lot of legwork that was done, you know, leading up to this. Hearings had already begun for the, for the Farm Bill going back uh, into the last Congress. But those hearings were orchestrated at the time by the Democrats in the House. So Republicans feel to some degree that they're starting um, over again. And so I think we're going to see a pretty active hearing schedule really early on from the Republican standpoint to try to catch them up to where they are and they feel like, like they can legislate. Those will be hearings on different policy topics, basically predicates for writing the bill. Exactly. This is, this is looking at the, the entire bill, individual farm programs, commodity programs, the, obviously the SNAP and nutrition side of things as well, um, land-grant universities. You'll, you'll see the whole gambit. And the, and the Ag Committee is interesting because a lot of those hearings will, will be in the field, um, no pun intended. Um, you know, they do use uh, the D.C. committee room as actively as, as any other committee, but they also really uh, use field hearings out in people's districts much, much better and, and much more frequently than other committees do. So I think you're going to see committees all around. You're going to see hearings all around the country on this one. Well, that's very interesting, Brian. Thank you. Let's let's talk about policy and let's start maybe with an unexpected uh, policy area. How might cannabis be treated in the farm bill? What's the realistic goal for the cannabis industry in the in the 2023 farm bill? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, the, the closest to legalization of cannabis that we've we've had at the federal level was actually the legalization of hemp in the last farm bill which was a Republican effort. And it was actually an effort led um, by Leader McConnell from Kentucky. Um, and I think it, it accidentally had the impact of, of bringing in new psychoactive drugs onto the market. You know, things like Delta-8, Delta-10, which we hadn't really heard of, which is really a hemp-derived uh, version of, of THC. Um, cannabis itself is not part of the farm bill. And, and I don't I don't think we're going to we're going to see a lot of um, action to move that. But I do think hemp is going to be a pretty active legislative process, both from trying to, to maybe go in and re-regulate some of the unintentional consequences of, of, of hemp, um, as well as to try to take a market that 
that never really worked and try to figure out how to make a hemp market work in, in the U.S. I, I think it'll be pretty busy there. So, so one of the lessons of the inclusion of hemp in the 2018 Farm Bill, is it fair to say, is that when you have a bill this big, this sprawling, it winds up introducing or including, or maybe just very quietly including, policy issues that nobody anticipated or necessarily saw as as top line issues. Very few people in 2018 were looking at the farm bill, thinking, "Yeah, finally hemp." Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the the big behemoths. This is you know like an infrastructure bill, uh, you know the the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, you know, this is this is one of the giant um, sausage making opportunities that Congress has. Um, and so things get added um, and there's a lot of unintentional consequences um, and usually all all with good intent, um, but sometimes not with the impact or the effect that they wanted to have. Well, I think that's an interesting comparison to the National Defense Authorization Bill, which passes every year with bipartisan support. Something we saw back in the 90s, I think, was that the Pentagon became the primary funder of breast cancer research. And the reason why was the Pentagon had money. So entrepreneurial members of Congress decided, okay, Pentagon has money, does research. Let's get the research we want done. This is a bill, these are bills that move every year. So you would say maybe some analogy in that regard to the farm bill? Absolutely. There's, there, in, in fact, research is a major title of this bill. And, and anything that says rural is the jurisdiction of, of the ag committees and the farm bill. And, and there's entire programs, you know, we have an ethanol program um, that was designed as a farm bill program and it's now become, you know, a giant energy program. And that all came out of, out of a corn research grant um, that, that initiated that. Interesting. Lakitha, let me turn to you now. What are the lingering equity issues in the wake of the American Jobs Creation Act can these issues be addressed in the 2023 Farm Bill? Yes, I think uh, two of the issues um, that relate to equity are access and opportunities. Um, and I say that because farming uh, for people of color was the very first startup business, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so I think when you talk equity, you talk about leveling the playing field, right? Um, I remember working in tobacco a few years ago and I'm going to the Black Farmers Association yearly meeting and the talk there was about the next generation of farming. So your younger people who are coming up through the ranks from the family business are now farming, but their farming is a little different because there's some technology there that they have implemented. Uh, So... When I talk to act, talk about access, I think the dollars that go to continuing to uh, research and develop, we talk about R&D all the time, research and develop those aspects of farming that many uh, just don't think about when you think about Black farmers. And then after you give them access and the, the dollars to research, what are the opportunities there? And the biggest opportunity I've seen has come from marijuana um, because there was an untapped market there, right? Um, So I just think that uh, because HBCUs are founded from land grants, right, which is the money from the federal government to establish uh, the land and establish the business, so now how do they increase their business model? 
and how do they uh, catch up with the times and technology? That's opportunity. So I, I, I go back to access and opportunity are the two places I think where equity will, will lie. And, and would you say that there are members of the agriculture committees in the House or Senate, again, with an entrepreneurial spirit, who might see the Farm Bill as an opportunity to uh, better fund research programs at HBCUs, for example? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the HBCU caucus, which is co-chaired by Alma Adams from North Carolina and Senator Chris Coons as well. So you have two people from different uh, different backgrounds and different caucuses coming together. And I, I think about farming as the great equalizer, you know, because we all have farming in our districts, in our areas. Most of our families come from farming families. My grandfather was a farmer. We have a farm in Texas now. So I just think that those are places where you have common threads of thoughts and, and how it helps um, put food on the table, mm-hmm. jobs, skills. These are all things that everyone wants. And I think the HBCU uh, talks about how those programs are being developed in their, in their schools and the research is being developed. So, yes. Well, thanks. Thanks. That's another angle on the farm bill that some people may not have been aware of. Um, let me let me put this out as an open question. Environmental programs, energy programs, conservation programs, wildlife programs, all part of the farm bill, right? Likely to be controversial among Republicans who are now in the majority in the House. Yes, I think so. I think that a lot of the Republicans will see the farm bill as a vehicle for what they perceive as some of President Biden's least popular programs, at least from their philosophical standpoint. Things like, you know, heavy emphasis on green energy and things like that. Um, In fact, the farm bill is interesting, Drew. It's really uh, full of strange bedfellows and, 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 and frenemies, you know, and philosophical opposites because what they, and, and you really have to align everybody and keep them in the fold to get it passed. Because if you ever break up the farm bill, I'm not sure you can pass any of the parts separately. Maybe, maybe you can, I'm not sure. But there are folks, for example, that do not like some of the safety net programs and then there are people that don't like giving money to farmers. And, you know, so it, it's really a it, there's a lot of odd political currents in here. But every five years they come together, they put something together that, quite frankly, nobody loves, but they get it passed every every five years. Well, Senator, you identified something I'd like to I'd like to ask a follow up question about the nutrition programs in the farm bill. Are they there because there's an understanding that you need to bring in votes from members of Congress who do not represent rural areas or, or, or farming heavy communities because the nutrition programs bring in urban and uh, rural support, don't they? Well, they do. And it, it, it again, it's a, it's complex and, and complicated politics there because uh, there are definitely people that um, love those programs and want to even put more money into the nutrition programs. And some of the farmers realize that, hey, that's a big market for us. So that helps support our prices if we have these programs. But on the 
other hand, they may philosophically not like, you know, quote unquote, the welfare state. And so, again, it's this complicated uh, mix of, of issues and, and, and policies. And, for example, you know, in some communities, farmers are very wealthy. And you kind of say, why should the government be subsidizing what they do? And why don't we just open it up for free trade? Well, one reason is other countries don't do that. And if we had truly free trade, um, maybe the American farmer would be able to compete and do well, but not when you have company, uh, countries all over the world subsidizing their farmers. So it's, it's very complicated. There's, there's a lot in here. Uh, and it's going to be hard to get it past this year. And, and Drew, let me go back to one thing you, you said earlier, and that is you, you are working under the assumption that this farm bill is going to be bigger and more expensive than the one five years ago. That's not necessarily a given, because if you think about the context of it, just in the last year or two, Congress has passed big infrastructure packages and other things that, that may beef up nutrition programs or beef up, say, rural infrastructure and other, other spending that I think some Republicans and probably Democrats, too, will look at that and say, wait a minute, we don't need to spend that money twice. We did this a year or two ago. Let's let's hang tight on that and let's let's slim down the farm bill. So there's a lot of uh, things that will happen between now and then. And, and uh, we just need to be ready for it. And it's like we like these complicated puzzles. Brian? I'll add, I mean, I think, you know, the, the change in Republican control to Republican control of the House, you know, also brought with it, um, as we saw after 15 votes for the speaker, um, you know, a, a series of, of changes to structure and how, how floor votes are going to be treated uh, in the House um, and, and how the, and, and in, in this open amendment process. And, and the farm bill kind of contradicts um, two of the, of the Republican goals, at least. Um, one, they, they don't want to bring up a bill that, is, that addresses more than a single issue. So I think you're going to see an internal debate of Republicans of whether the farm bill uh, violates that. Mm -hmm. Is this a bill that that is a single issue? And that would be a safety net uh, bill that is a safety net for for both families and for farmers. Or is this not a single issue? Is it truly a nutrition title and a farm title? Um, You know, in the past, conservatives have attempted to split it. It's never worked um, so far. Um, G.T. Thompson, who is who will be the, the chairman of the House Ag Committee, has said he does not want to split the bill. And I, I think that's true. He doesn't. Um, but I am sure that there are conservatives in the House that will want to try to split this bill. And then the second the second thing it, it violates is is um, well, maybe not violates, but but creates an opportunity for amendments. So to try to consider a bill of, of, of this size and scope that would probably weigh in somewhere, you know, close to a, a trillion dollars over five years under an open rule would take days, weeks, and perhaps longer to litigate on the House floor and, and really could become an incredibly uh, not just partisan, but, but almost state against state kind of amendment process. Um, because programs, some programs benefit, you know, the big square states in the middle, some programs benefit uh, you know, specialty crop states that are on the edges and some programs, you know, are really targeting 
the urban farmer, in addition to, the, to, as the senator mentioned, all the conservation issues, all of the environmental issues that Republicans will want to do. So this could really be um, a hard bill to write, but then an even harder bill to control on the House floor. So, so one of the things we'll be looking for is, is do the Republicans maintain their resolve to have single issue bills and open rules? Because as you said, this bill touches so many things that with an open rule, uh, there have been a bunch of more conservative members recently appointed by Speaker McCarthy to the Rules Committee um, who might be open to the kinds of amendments that couldn't have been offered on the floor before. But with an open rule, it's um, it's a free fire zone. Correct. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, it's going to take a while for this bill to get written um, and, and, and get to there. And by then, hopefully we'll have several other precedents for what the open rule process looks like in the House. Um, and maybe there's some new rules of engagement that come out between now and then. But it's it's I, I, I have no doubt that there are probably members of both the progressive caucus and the and the conservative caucuses that are that are already thinking of fun amendments to offer. To this. Uh, Drew, just to just to add to that, you know, every Congress has its challenges. And back in 2018, the farm bill started in the House. They, they filed it in April. And it when it finally got to the House floor, it failed. And then they, you know, went back to work a little bit. And then they passed it just barely by just one or two votes. Meanwhile, on their track, the Senate had it. The Senate version passed with 89 votes in the, in the Senate, you know. So then it goes to conference. And that conference was, I think, five months or more. And finally, they pass it in the last couple of weeks of December. And I think the president signed it on December 20th. So there's going to be lots of bumps in the road between now and the president's desk. That's assuming it can get there. It maybe can't get there. But there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. And for those who are interested in watching this bill, it's going to be pretty interesting, especially with the the, the Democratic House and the Republican, excuse me, the Democratic Senate and the Republican House with how it is right now. And this is where the states come in uh, big time, because I don't know if you've seen this lately. Um, the Iowa legislature tried to make moves to limit SNAP eligibility, right? Sort of like, like WIC. And so that is where you'll also start to see an argument, because you're going to start trying to limit I, I see the other the conservatives trying to limit what's eligible and 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 then so you can look and see how much money are they getting so then that, that limits the farmers the, the limits people of color so then you then you have another argument o- over something else right but back to the senator's point it's going to be a wild ride on the farm bill because you know it only comes around once every five years. And this is going to be the year that we can all legislate it out. And I just think a lot of pieces will be coming up uh, for discussion. And also remember for HBCUs, there's been a big push on cannabis production, cannabis research. Um, So then you'll start to see more funding from there. And also, again, with the Black Farmers Association, pretty close to John Boyd, there are programs being established at HBCUs around the next wave of farming. And I talked about this earlier, that's gonna include uh, technology, right? So then there's a discussion, like 
is that truly a farm bill issue or is that a technology issue, right? So there are a lot of points out there that will be debated uh, when this comes around, but uh, I guess it's time for us to have fun with the farm bill. Well, thank you, Lakeitha. And that was an apt mention of Iowa. But before I get to Iowa, Brian, did you want to say something? Well, I was, I was just going to say on, on a positive note, after all of these reasons why this is going to be so difficult, I'll say we at least have grownups in charge. I, I think um, both both Chairman Stabenow in the Senate um, and Chairman Thompson in the in in the House, as well as their ranking members, David Scott um, and John Bozeman, are, they're grownups. They legislate. They actually get along fairly well. They're well staffed. Um, they've worked together. Um, none of them are new to the committee. None of them are new to each other. And I think I think there's a real opportunity for them. They want to work together. They want to make law. Um, so compared to some of the other committees, uh, this isn't a out to get the other person kind of a place. I think everybody wants a, wants to see a farm bill happen. And to your point, Brian, Sabino and Bozeman, I've heard in the past, have already have a handshake agreement not to reduce SNAP, right? So they're already starting to craft out their deals before we even get to the beginning of it, but they're already making some very good agreements that are going to support, you know, different collections of people. I hope we'll be able to set Brian's remarks to uh, strings playing underneath. <laughs> He's got a sort of a stirring speech about how Congress, yeah, we can work together and get things done. But I think, you know, we have different viewpoints, the four of us, but I think we agree that, that this is something that can happen. Lakeitha, you mentioned um, Iowa for a somewhat different reason because of restrictions they're trying to place on eligibility for SNAP. But Iowa plays an important role here. Um, Senator Pryor, what about the proximity of the Iowa caucuses? Well, that's right. The Democrats want to move away from Iowa being the first state, the first caucus state uh, in the presidential race. And, and I think, candidly, um, one of the reasons we have the ethanol policy that we have today and the, the corn policy generally is because of the politics of Iowa. Anybody who wants to be president needs to go there and make commitments. And the Democrats are trying to change that. So I think that you're going to see possibly at least some changes in ethanol policy and corn policy. And, you know, that's that, that raises another uh, important point, Drew, and that is there's many, many fault lines in this bill. There's many, many fault lines, and one of those is row crops versus specialty crops. But then even within that, it's it's like southern agriculture versus Midwest agriculture. Well, I was the epitome of Midwest, so when they want to do something, it's not necessarily, uh, not necessarily true that all the southern uh, states want to go along with that because the farming practices are so different. And then you have these other fault lines, but it just goes to what Brian and Lakeitha were saying a few moments ago, this is a complicated, the politics here are complicated, the policy is complicated, and the, the procedure in the House and Senate will be complicated. But I really do think that at the end of the day, people will come together and get it done. It's the great equalizer. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that the 2018 Farm Bill was signed into law just before Christmas. That wasn't the presidential election year. Harder to do in a presidential election year or, or presidential cycle, or more important to do it now before we get into the election year? 
That, that, that's a great question. Um, it's, you know, some years it falls in a presidential election, some years it doesn't. There's some discussion possibly about, um, you know, people not being able to agree and pushing it into 2024. That's just kicking the can down the road. The, the issues don't get any easier. And then you get another election under your belt, and who knows what that means. So it, it, it's a good question, though, about whether it makes it easier or harder. In I'd say, I mean, from a Republican standpoint, I mean, we, we're, we're going to have a primary um, for, the, for, the, for the nomination uh, for, for president. Um, and and the, the folks that are going to get in that primary are, are, are going to be made up largely of two groups of people. They're, they're, they're going to be governors, um, and they're going to be senators, and then probably a former president. And um, I shouldn't say probably. And the only candidate we currently have is a former president. Mm-hmm. What what that does is is that 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 means nobody can get to the left. Um, it will it will force all of those candidates, some of whom might be on the ag committee and or some of them might have to vote for a farm bill on the Senate floor. It forces them all to the right, and it makes cutting a deal difficult because those are votes you now can't rely on. Um, because they can't be seen as squishes right. during that primary debate. So I, I think from a Republican standpoint, it's going to be more difficult to try to cut a deal um, with with the Democratic president because specifically the presidential election. Okay, at this point, this is where we replay your remarks about bipartisanship and getting the bill done. In conclusion, <laughs> well, well, thank you all. Thank you, Lakeitha. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Senator Pryor. I think you did a great job of laying out the kind of puzzle we have in front of us and the possibilities to really get something done. Uh, I hope our listeners enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.